Welcome to the High Hopes Phillies Minor League Rundown. I'm Jason Springer here with Jeff Cohen following the journey of the players chasing their dreams in the Phillies farm system. Jeff, this week we followed some dreams out at Reading as they closed out the first half. Uh, your thoughts before we things get, get things started? Well, it was a good day at Reading. The weather held out, even though it was pouring earlier in the day. Yeah, we drove through some rain to get there. Uh-huh. Saw a rainbow, which is usually a good sign. And then we saw Chad Henney before the game. Did you get a Chad Henney bobblehead? Uh, I did get a Chad Henney bobblehead, uh, but Chad Henney is a local star uh, from, I believe, Wilson High School in Reading, uh, and he was back there to uh, be honored for his uh, work in the community and for his uh, stardom from Wilson High School. It was definitely a great night, and uh, Reading, the bats came to play. They win 10-2, Jeff, was the score. It was a lot of runs, which is always a good thing when you go to a ball game, unless you're me, who likes a good pitching duel. So, <laughs> But th this was an incredibly important game for them because they had the chance to win the first half title which uh, for people we've talked about this before but for the first time the Eastern League has now switched from a full season to a half season winner so you're the first half winner and the second half winner play in the playoffs and you're still not satisfied uh, look I, I think it's ridiculous that it came down to a tiebreaker between two teams in the same division who didn't play each other for the entire first half of the season, even though they're about two hours apart. And didn't play the same amount of games. Reading played two more games than Trenton. Trenton got a dominant pitching performance Tuesday night from one of their stars and uh, took the first half. You know, it's funny because after the game, I, I was I was complaining. I was going to use a stronger term. You would complain? Yeah, yeah, I was complaining about because I thought, okay, how easy would this be to solve by just having them play like a one-game tiebreaker that'll just be the next time they play or the first time that they play each other because because they do play a lot um, and then I saw that Greg Giambaresi from uh, the Blue Cause said that uh, there was a whole Twitter storm about it in the minor leagues and Greg was saying that's exactly what they did uh, in a, a few years ago in the South Atlantic League makes no sense to me there's got to be a better way. It's just not fair. I mean, the guys work, you know, it's funny. The other thing that I heard uh, or that I read on Twitter is is some reporters saying, why do they even have playoffs? The players don't care. Well, you and I could tell them that's not true. Okay? No, we'll have an interview on next week's show with Jeff Singer where he talks about how he's never been in a dog pile to celebrate a title, and he wanted to look forward to that. Yeah. And he's not alone. And last year, I was at uh, the game where – the Iron Pigs clinched their division for the first time. And the celebration that went on in that locker room, because I was down there, was champagne pouring all over the place. And the guys celebrating for a good hour to hour and a half. It does matter to them. Winning always matters to them. As Gary Jones has, has often told us, winning is part of development. Yeah, winning is development. Yeah, so, so not winning this way makes absolutely no sense at all, especially because rosters turn over so much. Hopefully it makes them hungrier in the second half to try and get that they still have a good team, but they will probably have some roster turnover. You'll see some players moving up, some other players coming up from single A. Mm -hmm. We talked to one of them. We'll have an interview with him in a few minutes, Damon Jones, who had a dominant pitching performance in his first outing, Jeff. Well, he's a man among young men. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a big, strong guy, uh, and I think that they have a keeper in him. Um, not sure they knew what they had a couple years ago, but he was 
part of that ACE clause staff last year, and he has moved rapidly through the system from Lakewood to Clearwater the beginning of this year and now up to Reading, and I don't think he's going anywhere except up. Why don't we play his interview earlier in the show this week, and then when we come back, we'll talk about everything else going on in the farm system. Sounds good. We are here in Reading with pitcher Damon Jones. Welcome to Reading. How is the adjustment from Clearwater here at Day now? Um, good. Uh, it's a lot cooler here, even though it's still pretty hot and muggy, but beats beats Clearwater by a lot. Absolutely. Um, you lit it up in Clearwater. You want to talk about heat? You brought it down there. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about the start of your year and, and how it's gone so far? Yeah. Um, it went pretty well. Worked on some adjustments to kind of work on my command because I had quite a few walks at the start. Um, kind of dialed in my delivery, went to a stretch only kind of thing, and kind of took off from there, um, especially over the month of May and June. Uh, a lot of good changes there. So have you only been pitching out of the stretch? Uh, since about my third start. Uh, the first start I had at Lakeland, I kind of mid-game kind of switched and haven't looked back. What, is there any downside for a pitcher to pitch out of the stretch? I know a lot of people always ask, why doesn't a pitcher just pitch out of the stretch all the time? Um, I wouldn't say there's a downside. Some guys kind of get in a rhythm if they're in a windup. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I kind of had too many moving parts, I'd say. So kind of simplifying everything made it made it nice and easy to just repeat my delivery and keep doing that. Well, you're a, you're a tall pitcher, and, and they often talk about the taller you are, the more moving parts that you have, the harder it is to repeat your delivery. Is that one of the things that they were thinking? Yeah, definitely. Like, that's one of the, the Phillies pitching kind of goals is to repeat your delivery over and over again, and that's uh, being out of the stretch helps me do that. So you actually spent a little time in Idaho, I hear. That's where I'm from, yeah. Uh, so what was it like playing in Idaho? Um, I played junior college there. Um, I, I redshirted one year, got elbow surgery in 2014, and then I played there in 2015. Um, I don't know, it was so long ago. It was, it was a good experience. I mean, I mean, I played high school there too and all throughout growing up, but uh, you definitely get all four seasons and it's, it's colder than normal. I mean, it's kind of similar to weather here in terms of you kind of get it all. Ever so, been to McCall? Uh, yeah, I've been to McCall a few times. Uh, it's really pretty there. Um, super expensive place to live, uh -huh. but it's a great vacation spot for sure. So you, even though you started your college career in Idaho, you actually migrated north to Washington State. How did that happen? Uh, I was pitching in Colorado in a summer ball league for uh, that my junior college coaches sent me to, and uh, Dan Spencer, the pitching coach that just got hired at Washington State, uh, saw me throw. He was actually there to watch my roommate uh, play in the outfield and kind of get a read on him, and I just happened to be pitching in the playoff game and pitched one of the best games of my life and kind of got offered a scholarship on the spot, so it was just kind of a... So what happened to the guy that they actually came to say? He, he was my roommate in college at Washington <laughs> State. He came with me. Um, yeah, he's one of my good buddies. What's it like for you guys to have been able to have that experience together, first the scouting and then playing together as you moved forward? Uh, it was it was unique, I mean, because I wasn't expecting to do anything. We were both kind of expecting to go right back to College of Southern Idaho, and then uh, I guess my mom and my grandpa were in the stands, and the pitching coach, he, he came up to my grandpa. He said, who's this guy throwing? And, and grandpa said, that's my grandson. <laughs> so, Proud grandfather yeah, right there. Uh, offered me a scholarship that night and got things set up the next morning and it all happened really quick and 
it was a great experience. Where were you when you were drafted in 2017? I was sitting in my room in Pullman with uh, my girlfriend, who's now my fiance, Rachel, and just kind of looking at the draft tracker. I don't know. I didn't really have any expectations. I I was hoping I'd get picked up in one of the 40 rounds, and uh, I guess the 17th round came along, and the scout called me and offered me, and I was like, no, I can't do that. And then because uh, I had a number in mind, and then without calling me again, the Phillies drafted me and gave me what I wanted, and I'll have a year when I need to finish up school because I have 12 credits left, and uh, yeah. Well, even though we hope to see you in Philadelphia very soon, you wouldn't be the first member of your family who actually played professional sports in Philadelphia, is that true? No, yeah, my, my grandfather played for the 76ers for, I think, two seasons. So what has your grandfather told you, if anything, about the city of Philadelphia? Uh, honestly, not a whole bunch. I mean, he's no longer with us now, but he... Uh I don't know. He called me as soon as I got drafted and said, now we have two pros in the family, and it was a really cool experience. And uh, I don't know. He tells me certain stories. He played with the Portland Trailblazers to end his career. And I don't know. He tells a story of when, I mean, it's not a good story, but Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points. And my grandpa was the one guarding him. <laughs> so that's kind of his claim to fame. But Wait, for how many of the points did he say? Uh, he, he, got, he got fouled out, I think, shortly after the third quarter started. See? So it's not his fault, yeah. right? Plus, the starting center was out, so it was his second year as a pro, and he had to guard one of the best of all time. So when you got drafted by the Phillies, did you come to Philadelphia, or did you go straight to Clearwater? Went straight to Clearwater, huh. and then I think I was there maybe 10 or so days, and then went right to Williamsport. And, and after Williamsport last season, you spent some time in Lakewood. Yeah. Um, you were part of that amazing staff last year with Will Stewart and, and so many others. What was it like to pitch with that group of pitchers? Um, it felt like we were always one-upping each other, so it was really cool. I mean, we went on a bunch of streaks of shutouts and just really good pitching, and guys were pitching complete games and lots of strikeouts, and it was it was a blast and winning two halves. I mean, Rosso and Parkinson moved up at the half, and we still had a good core in that second half. Um, it was a blast, though. It was always just, all right, this guy went six shutout, and then the next day some guy goes seven shutout, and it was just one through. I think we had six guys, and it was just it was a blast. We talk a lot with the players about the, the struggles that minor leaguers have. It's not as easy as people think for athletes. The guys in Lakewood normally talk about the bus ride to Rome. Yeah, that's a 14-hour ride. <laughs> yeah. What's it like for you to, to have that experience, both physically and mentally, as you're just trying to play a game, but you become a professional and all of a sudden you've got road trips and you've got business to take care of how do you handle that hopefully you can get some sleep um, I've never been much of a plane or a bus sleeper um, and you also just kind of hope you don't start that day the next day um, but it's a grind you kind of get used to it as the season goes on I mean that first month I guess is kind of hard especially if you haven't been on a long bus ride in college or as high school you're never gonna go that far and I don't know just kind of getting used to just getting ready to post up and play every day and as a position player or as a pitcher you have to be ready to go every day too if you're in the bullpen all right well if you don't sleep on the bus so what do you do for fun um a lot of netflix uh some card games i know some guys brought Fortnite on the bus so that uh -huh. was a pretty big hit because there was a tv on the bus there um kind of just shooting the breeze too just whatever you can to pass the time i think we made three or four stops at certain gas stations sometimes it'd be at five in the morning and <laughs> guys are getting soda and you're just like because you really have no sense of time right so. eat healthy on the bus 
you try to, but it usually doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Uh, you get some meal money, and you stop at a gas station, and the Wendy's in it is closed. So you get a candy bar or two or a bag of chips and maybe some beef turkey and just kind of uh, – we had some snacks on the bus that were maybe a little healthier, kind of like some uh, trail mix or certain types of, like, power bar, stuff like that. But well, we saw last year uh, Coach Malloy was handing out Chick- Chick-fil-A gift certificates to yeah. players. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, you just kind of do what you can to uh-huh. get food. So when you get when you get up to Reading, what people don't know about the life of a, of a minor league baseball player is is all the moving around you have to do. Um, you came to Reading last week, didn't even get a chance to settle in. Uh, no, they they put me in the Crown Plaza. Um, I woke up the next morning, got a ride, and uh, we were on a bus over to Harrisburg. Um, I couldn't even like leave all my stuff in the hotel because we were on a road trip. So the reservation didn't stay through, so I had to basically leave all my stuff in the clubhouse, stay the night, come back the next day, and then finally I was able to move into an apartment. So you were living with other teammates? Yeah, uh, three lefties. All right. Who's the biggest slob in the house so far? Uh, I don't know. We really have our own living spaces, so yeah. it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, I'm, I'm right by the kitchen in the dining room, and I'd say I am right now just because I have everything thrown all over the place. Uh-huh. Just got a blow-up mattress and trying to I don't know, kind of situate a living space. Now, I heard you're big on playlists, that you, that you are a big rock fan. Yeah. Um, so, so what's on your playlist, and do your, do your roommates like your uh, selection of music so far? Honestly, I don't think many of my teammates like my selection that I've <laughs> ever had because um, I really just listen to rock and rock only, um, especially on game days. The harder, the better, in my t- opinion. Um, Shinedown is my favorite band. I saw them this offseason, and they were okay. a blast. Um, but yeah, just in the weight room, just 20 minutes ago, I had Kenny put on a metal playlist because we're just listening to light stuff. What's your walk-in music? Um, we didn't have one in Clearwater. Uh, I haven't really picked one this year. It'll probably be Devil by Shinedown because that was going to be my plan, just kind of from the intro and just something to pump me up. You mentioned not really being able to settle before you had to go out on the road. You were able to settle once you are on the mound. 12 strikeouts, great first appearance. What was that like to overcome everything with all those challenges and then did you take a moment and say okay like uh, I did this or yeah. you just move on I kind of expected the nerves to come and they never really did I kind of uh, was rushing a little bit in the bullpen before the start and Fultzy just told me settle down I'm rushing a little bit and uh, after that that first pitch and it was a strike and I just took off from there once I got my feet wet and other than that fourth inning where they scored that one run from a leadoff walk I I, I, I breezed through it in the off season, you didn't just work on your your pitching. You went and I saw you worked a little bit. Uh, not not the typical off season that everybody has. What, could you tell our listeners what you did to kind of get ready in the off season with a little work? Well, sure. I I started um, at a place called Houston Technologies, which was a place near Seattle that got, I guess, shipping containers from China and Japan and they would be full of either bikes or TVs, vacuums, just cardboard boxes full of whatever. You didn't really know until you opened the door, and I was called a swamper, which means I had to move all the stuff into certain piles for the forklifts to pull out. And so I did that for probably two months and hated it because it was a 12-hour job, and I had to still try and train. And then 
I took a break, went home to Idaho for a couple weeks, and when I came back, I found an opportunity to help out the baseball kids at a place called New Level Performance, and I was able to train there too, so it was really kind of a diamond in the rough that I had no clue, and I messaged the guy, and he said, yeah, you can work for free. We also need a guy to come do pitching lessons too if you'd be interested, and I, I, I took the first shot because I was tired of working in that warehouse. Does it make you appreciate more what you get to do every day as a ball player when you go and you work that 12-hour day, uh, working a little more manual labor than you're used to on the mound there? Oh, yeah. uh, and you meet so many different people and just a lot of people that, you know, you have life better than and they're working to feed their families and doing stuff like that and it just kind of puts a perspective on things for sure. And what was it like for you to get to teach some other kids how to do it? Is that that different experience yeah, for you? Yeah, that's pretty fun. I'm not a super uh, outgoing guy. I'm a very kind of closeted person, um, but it forced me to open up and try and teach what I know and learn what I didn't know from other guys that were helping too. And uh, I think I took a couple steps forward in that, that direction. Well, if you're not an outgoing guy, who, who's the guy here that's most outgoing that you've met so far? Here Dan Oh, I think he knows. I think uh, he's got an answer. <laughs> I mean, there's a few. Uh, on the pitching staff, I'm not really sure. I know Mickey is very outgoing. Uh, Luke Williams is also very outgoing. I don't know. You really get a whole lot of different personalities in there. So, uh. so having moved from from Lakewood to Clearwater to here, all in less than a calendar year, uh, is it fun to to kind of move up with the guys? I mean, a lot of your progression has followed other guys that you have you've been with at Lakewood and also at Clearwater. Yeah, um, guys like David Parkinson, Jonathan Hennigan, and uh, guys like that. We kind of started in Lakewood together, and then some of them went up quicker than I did, and then I caught back up and I know, it's just been a blast kind of knowing familiar faces and you're not just totally by yourself and in a different, different uh, location I guess with no one you know. Now people would look at your last start and say 12 strikeouts in six innings uh, doesn't need to work on anything but I know you guys are, are incredibly competitive and want to constantly get better. What's the thing that you're working on now? Um, for me it'd be fastballs to my glove side uh, um, either it'd be a way to a lefty into a righty is something that I'd really like to work on. And then change-ups especially. Uh, that's definitely my fourth pitch right now, and it's a pitch that if I want to make the big leagues, I think it's got to be in my repertoire. So, All right, well, Damon, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to following you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jeff, you often ask me what I take away from these interviews, and I'm struck by, again, the poise of someone who's in the middle of a whirlwind. He's barely been in Reading for a few days. He didn't even get to come right there and drop his bags before he went out on the mound and <laughs> threw 12 strikeouts and then was sitting down as if nothing had happened. Well, to be fair, he actually got a night at the Crown Plaza. That's right. <laughs> and then he had, then he had to. But then he had to leave all his bags, the, yeah. take all his bags with uh -huh. him. Uh huh. It just uh, the look the his stuff. He's a he, there's a lot of talk about him now as a lefty in the system who has good a good arm in terms of his speed and the stuff that he throws. Mm -hmm. He seems to be cognizant that he needs to develop that changeup to really get to where he wants to go as a pitcher and give hitters a little more to think about in the box there. What are 
are your thoughts on the how he's moved up? Obviously, he was a 17th or 18th round pick originally, so mm-hmm. he wasn't that high draft pick. Which is which is why he was uh, moving boxes during the summer. I, if he's a first round pick, he's not moving moving boxes. Got to make summer. you appreciate it more when you're doing that kind it make, of work. It makes you hungry. Uh, I'm not saying I encourage teams to pay players less. I'm just saying that that the whole process makes you hungry to want to succeed and you want to succeed in the right way because when, when you talk to somebody like Damon Jones you realize they're in a hurry but they're not because they realize that if they get up there too quickly they'll get exposed and as a pitcher especially you do not want to be exposed as a guy who's just grooving fastballs no matter how you could throw 105 miles an hour if you don't locate and you don't have your secondary pitches you're going to get exposed by major league hitters you mentioned doing things the right way uh i know you want to take a little detour from the minor league baseball to talk a little little league etiquette <laughs> go ahead as as somebody who has an affinity for for children's sports uh and as somebody who has been in a position as a coach and obviously as a parent uh i just wanted to take a minute to talk about the lunacy that is some of these parents the fact that there was this incident this week uh, which was a fight at a seven-year-old Little League game is stunning to me. It is absolutely ridiculous that the parents get in fights over pitch selection, strikes and balls, all this other nonsense. And and here's the ama- even more amazing point of this. This apparently was all started because of the call of a 13-year-old umpire, okay? Now, as somebody whose kid has umpired in the past as a child, how ridiculous is it that a 13-year-old is umpiring? Started a brawl. He did nothing wrong, and he's going to make mistakes. We watch major league and minor league umpires make mistakes at high speeds all of the time. When you have kids umpire, and I'm not saying they shouldn't umpire. I actually think it is a great learning experience for them. But parents complaining about this stuff and getting to the point that they're actually leveling blows at each other, what are you teaching your child? You know what the worst part of that is? I'm desensitized so much that while I'm still horrified it happened, I'm not surprised. And that's what's unfortunate, is that you tell me that parents got out of line and were inappropriate or got in a fight at a game. I've seen it before now. It's not shocking anymore. It's horrifying that well, well, look, these are the that's lessons. That's a societal issue. But, but, but I'm saying yeah. it, that's where we are now, that these are the lessons that the kids on the field are learning is what they're seeing in the stands mm-hmm. from the people that are raising them. Parents are going to have to be put on a moat outside of baseball fields and sporting events from now on. Spoken like somebody who coached a youth and who team. And who would have loved to dig that moat. All right, let's get back to the the minor league system. Tell me what happened in Lehigh Valley this week. Whew, nothing good. <laughs> <laughs> Profound. They, they are having a very rough time. Um, and I think part of it is, is injuries. I think another part of it is the Phillies, because of their injuries, 
breweries needing to call people up. Uh, there is not a lot of consistency at position there. There's a lot of shuffling around, and they went from a team that was doing very well to a team that has now fallen to, before last night's game, fall, they've fallen to 32 and 36 and fifth place in the International North. Do you think they're going to get reinforcements as a result of necessity, both pressure from the top with guys coming back off the injured list, pushing guys back down, and pressure from the bottom where you have guys in Clearwater raking, ready to move up, thus potentially pushing up guys at Reading to Lehigh Valley? Yes and no. Um, I think that when guys come back to the majors, you'll see other guys have to get designated for assignment like Phil Gosselin just was. Um, I don't think that they will rush people up sooner than they're ready to be rushed up. You know, we, we were out in Reading the other day. There was, or we, we asked questions with people whether or not Mickey Moniak was going to be moved up anytime soon. And the thought was, no, let, let him, he's still one of the younger players in AA. Don't put him up where he doesn't belong yet. We'll make that judgment. We're going to make the judgment that's best for him. We're not going to do it because we have to fill a slot at AAA. I more think of Derek Hall when Alec Bohm comes up because they're going to want Alec Bohm to be playing. And you and I are both of the belief that sooner than later, most likely by 4th of July, he will end up in Reading, continuing to have another good night last night. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's where I just wonder whether that will help Lehigh Valley at all. Well, yeah, and and your talk about Alec Bohm is like right on point. Uh, he started off the second half of the season. Their second half just started because they just had their all-star game. Uh, and they had seven all-stars that we talked about last week, the Threshers. Um, Tuesday, he was three for four with a homer and three RBIs. Uh, last night, he had another, uh, I think I had another homer. Um, he is, he's just dominating down at, at uh, high A. Um, the other guy, since we're talking Threshers, is Jalen Ortiz, who we talked to last year. Uh, Jalen has not exactly killed it when it comes to batting average. Over the last month, he has done tremendously well. Tuesday, he was two for four with a home run, his eighth of the season. Last night, he had another home run. Uh, and by the way, one of your favorites, Nick Maton, hit a grand slam on Wednesday. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to see. Give me a quick Lakewood recap. Not great things going on there, but they played a little better. Five-game win streak? Yeah. So so even though they're tied for last in the South Atlantic Northern Division, they over the last week, they've been playing much better. And I think that the team is starting to come together as one of the youngest teams in the South Atlantic League and it's just taking a little bit of time to get used to get, get used to that particular league and also the other thing that is is beneficial is now that the cross cutters have started there are guys that they wanted to get some experience and they stuck them on Lakewood even though they weren't ready for Lakewood once the once that short season starts what they do is they move those guys to the cross cutters which makes it better for the guys that belong at single A to be playing there. All right, we'll get to the crosscutters next week. They had their opening week this past week. It's in the books. But let's preview the fight in this game a little bit. Well, usually on Thursdays it's Yavera or it's Medina and it's Medina. So last game, um, he actually had one of his best games of the season. He had 7.1 innings pitch, three hits, two runs, one walk, five Ks, and the win. 
And it, it seems like Derek Hall is sort of doing it all for this team right now. I talked about him. Even stealing a base while we were there. He's got speed. Yep. Uh, we do have to give a shout out to the bullpen. Jeff Singer will have his interview next week. But uh, he gave us a little. So we'll, we'll wait for the whole story. But suffice it to say that the bullpen gave us a little performance of Mortal Kombat when uh, Austin Bozart came to the plate. I'm going to have to try and figure out how to get that music into the show. Jeff, <laughs> any final thoughts? You got about 10 seconds before we got to say goodbye. Redding's going to come back and they're going to win the second half. They're going to be hungry. That sounds good to me. Uh, any other thoughts? I'm going to leave it there. Derek Hall, maybe. We'll be talking about him and go and see him in AAA very soon. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Now we hand it over to Greg Caserta and Kristen Carbach as they take you up to the first pitch for the Fightings here on 610 ESPN. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the ball game.